Shallow words bring nothing new. Shallow words bring nothing new. It could suck. So, um, Matt Chrisman of Chapo fame, uh, welcome to Superstructure. Oh, hi. Uh, thanks for having me. So I wanted to just take a second to perhaps introduce our podcast, not just to you, but also potentially to some listeners who are listening for the first time. Um, so we are a left MMT podcast. That's oh, modern monetary oh, God theory. Damn it. <laughs> the trap has been set. I fucking knew it. I'll tell you guys right now, I'm not going to talk about that. I don't care. We don't, you know, what's great, what's great about this, Matt, is we actually don't talk about MMT either from, from we just assume it. So there's going to be an, actually an interesting way in which I think, we could actually get at some some real. You, you don't want to fight about so the taxpayer. Don't about you don't want to fight about the taxpayer I dollar. Care. I don't care. No, there's there's not going to be any balance sheet exercises. <laughs> or any of that stuff. <laughs> we promise. Um. All right. Just so we're so clear yeah. On that. No, no, we're clear. We're clear. We don't. I know you don't care, and you know I think it it it'll be a helpful exercise because our one of our interventions is is to like try and synthesize more mainstream theoretical understandings of left political economy with the sort of sort of more flat empiricist versions of MMT. So we'll we'll get there. But um, and the emotions are so, important. The emotions. It's not just about like, yeah, that how that situates in the political yeah. moment, not in a nerdy way, just because that's part of what everything's part of, you know? Yeah, and That's so that's the stoner um, <laughs> comment to just start things out. So, <laughs> and so then I also wanted to say, like the we, we started our podcast after Bernie ended his campaign, and so like the first the first episode was called "Critique After Bernie," and it's sort of situated in, in making sense of that context. Um, and and in a lot of ways, I think we, at least aesthetically speaking, have uh, taken to like taking real influence from this sort of counter hegemonic, you know, aesthetic, political and cultural critique of Chapo. So I figured I'd say that. But as a way of getting into um, what the reason that that brought that brought you onto our show, which is one of our listeners essentially just tweeted at you saying you should go on uh, this podcast uh, to talk about your sort of articulation of the neoliberal moment zero sum thinking. I wanted to also say that that where we, I think, depart from Chapo is in rejecting zero-sum thinking, not just as a political like possibility, but at the level of social, cultural, and monetary politics. So we'll we'll get there. But um, I wanted to start by just playing a clip from your stream, uh, episode one fifteen of the Grill Stream, to contextualize what your thinking is on the neoliberal moment and then allow you to talk about it. So let me just pull this up and we can play it. And that is why politics in this era now, as I have said before, is about distributing the pain, the inevitable pain of the neoliberal order to your enemies because it's their fault this is happening. We are in a sinking ship and it's two groups of people trying to kill each other because they think that they're the reason that they slammed the iceberg. That's it. And, I mean, look at the extreme left and, like, meme people online. What are, like, the, the archetypal uh, 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 edgelord memes of the left and right? Guillotines and helicopter rides. 
There's no, in neither of these uh, Imaginariums are you talking about justice? Or are you talking about a new uh, uh, worthwhile social order? Nobody has any hope in that happening. Even the fucking, the Nazis don't imagine they're going to get some Edenic splendor. And the fucking, on the, and the left, nobody's really thinking about anything beyond revenge. So, Matt, can you tell us more about that? Uh, I think that it brought amongst people who are going to be voting, mm-hmm. right? Like, not, not, not at politics at the level of theoretical or the level of uh, even internal critique within either party. As the mass of people voting in elections, I think more uh, over time, as, as sit, uh, we get a greater and greater deterioration of conditions in this country, the, the upshot of their vote will be a vote not to gain anything for themselves because that's off the table. It will be to punish someone for the mere condition of their life. And the two parties, uh, the choice between the two parties will be a choice between two uh, uh, rogues galleries of, of enemies, of, 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 of uh, villains, who we imagine uh, the state can be brought to bear against. That, that's, the, that's the basic gist of what it seems like to me we're going to see in politics and already are seeing. So I think, you know, perhaps to, to bracket some of the like, whether that's true in the sense of like what where our contemporary political horizon is going, because I definitely think we would probably agree with certain aspects of what in this sort of reified neoliberal imaginary we we can look forward upon it, barring that there isn't a sort of change in the way that sort of our collective consciousness is sort of thinking politically. I think one of the things that we try and do in this podcast is take a step back a little bit and reconsider what this question of neoliberalism implies. And one of the main cruxes of it that we identify is this sort of Thatcher notion of there is no public money, there is only taxpayer money. And this this sort of atomization and individualization of political and collective monetary sort of consciousness um, is a sort of profound moment in the way we see this sort of zero-sum thinking taking place. And so I think that that's something we wanted to, un- we would want to unravel as a, as a sort of sense of political possibility, but then also perhaps to not take this sort of and I and I, I realize you're also hedging on the on the voting question like who's voting um, but to not take this quite at its at its word in that sense I think it's interesting the the focus on voting and masses because I think and sort of this zero-sum sense of uh, I mean what stuck out to me with your thing was the the guillotines and the helicopters but it's interesting to me to think of like, okay, like if we talk about the successes there have been, like, uh, I don't know, Corey, Corey Bush, am I getting the name right? Shut up. Uh, AOC, mm-hmm. Ilhan, yeah. Rashida, like what, not to say that's like our full horizon, like not to say like only the squad ever and that growing is everything we need in politics. Like obviously we have like deeper vision than that, but like what were the enemies in those circumstances and like what were the... Um, 
what did make the masses of people angry and what revenge were they taking if that's what was happening? Uh, you mean in like elections for like Cory Bush? Sure. And AOC? Sure. If Because if you're opposing that, it seems like all voting kind of voting is like a, something to gain for yourself to punish someone because the primary emotion of voting is going to be like where the mask goes in terms of their anger, right? And who they want. So if, if that's what you're opposing. And so like what anger would the successes we've had at all come out of? Well, I mean, for one thing, it's not totalizing it's a trend and and the trend is more noticeable at the larger uh population levels so it's going to be least noticeable at uh at like a individual congressional race you know when you're talking about aoc i mean she won her primary with what twenty thousand votes sure uh i don't know how many cory bush got but i Mm -hmm. i'm not i'm not imagining it was a ton uh and i mean and how many of those are voting just in the context of voting for democrats you know, I mean, uh, and, and the specific messaging in a specific campaign, I don't know enough about because I wasn't there. Uh, and I, I, I my main uh, my main issue with that is like a, a uh, rejoinder is that I don't see it scaling. <laughs> Even if there is something there, I don't see any mechanism whereby it scales because the party that these people are in is completely at its top level. Uh, and not not and when I say top level, I don't just mean elected officials and obviously all of the donors who, who you mean the DNC, you know, the DNC. And more importantly, at this point, it's media apparatus are hostile to it, are hostile to the project. So I don't and we've seen where those entreaties have gone when they've gone up against the greater might of the Democratic Party. Like they're able to, they, they can express, you know, like a localized uh, dream for some sort of social democratic reform agenda but in a context in a party context where there there will never be any uh, knock-on effect beyond the local because everything above the local level is pressing in the other direction and there's nothing to countervail that pressure it's interesting yeah um i think that there's always a lot of different things going on, right? Like, I feel like you're reading it a little bit univocally as well, right? Like, well, if anything happens ever, that's still, like, in contrast to the the larger uh, doom, right? But, you know, I live, I live in Chile, and that was true in a lot of ways for a long time, right? You have in the early 90s that uh, there's the, the democracy, but Pinochet's still around, and you have, like, 20 years of social, of like center left, sort of 20, 30 years of the concertacion, the center left, right? And there's a lot of electoral skepticism, right? And there's a lot of, you know, with the binomial system, there's a lot of debates about that always. But at the same time, like, you never know what theory of change is going to like pop up, but people are always trying shit, right? And like, yeah, like people hit the streets last year in October, and then they like, got to deal through some deputies for like a process to vote on a new constitution. Like you don't know, like, and that had like been previously with a whole year of, you know, indigenous struggles in the streets, huge student movements, fighting cops, like unions, like it's just like an all hands on deck thing all the time. Cause like, what else would it be? Right. As opposed to like focusing on inevitable doom. Like you want to know where you put your energy, right. And you don't want to like waste your time, obviously, but like, you're always trying shit and like trying to move people and find where you're going, right? 
Yeah, I, mean, um, I agree. I mean, that's what I've been trying to do with with my stream is redirect to to the extent that I can. Uh, if if there, I've discovered, you know, my 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 role and the role of honestly anybody in political media is is entertainment above all. That is the actual raison d'etre for it. Uh, everything else is is sort of honestly self flattery more than anything, like a sense that you're not just entertaining people, but like there is also your moral uh you know the the moral sense you have yourself that you should be doing something good and to me like the big i i was thrown into crisis like a lot of people were after the bernie campaign ended because what next and doing the same thing seemed totally untenable and and just deciding to just cynically embrace my role as a political entertainer also seemed morally untenable considering how monstrously terrible everything appears to be and that's what kind of drove me towards re-challenging a lot of my my preconceptions and the big thing i came away with is that any that that the mechanisms that we've taken for granted to come to those uh understandings of what to do what what action we should take uh are designed to do the opposite they're designed to obfuscate uh what's in front of us and make us focus instead on abstract concepts and personalities and our own uh hidden uh desire to to be validated uh and have and those end up taking over completely and and do you think it's bad for... it impossible for us to recognize any opportunity that might emerge in front of us that we could we could uh profitably engage with do you think right. it's so, bad uh... for people to want to be sorry go ahead oh i mean i was just gonna say like i think that Chapo was actually um, very like it. It did play a role beyond entertainment, like in DSA and in kind of organizing uh, a certain culture and a certain subjectivity um, and a certain framing around the Bernie campaign and taking it back to media um, in general. Because like we do, we call ourselves Superstructure because we do take media uh, very seriously. Um, that's disgusting, we, William. <laughs> um, <laughs> we we take seriously the ways in which uh, media actively shapes the terms of our discussion, which shapes like it, it conditions horizons of possibility. And I think that like taking it back to how like the mainstream media forms uh, have like influenced. Um, the debate like around you know in in both of the Bernie in both of the Bernie campaigns and obviously you know Biden and Trump um, we have implicitly and we try in this podcast to trace this back to this idea of money being finite and coming from taxpayers we have this this notion that politics is uh, is fundamentally just about distribution rather than creation because in order to create you have to take from somewhere and you have to take from taxpayers and, and i and i think that this comes out in which bernie was very guilty of right I yeah mean, yeah and and i i think that this as, comes as out much in, as we, yeah yeah in in your in the grill stream that you do um what this implies is that uh for somebody uh like my interests uh take from your interests necessarily um, unless there is a concrete, particular, uh, material common denominator, right? And and this is this is the Marxist idea of you know class and organizing uh, on 
on the basis of class. But when, you, when we talk about public goods, right, like we can talk about, uh, like, you know, healthcare, right? Like we can talk about healthcare abstractly as this kind of universal good and think of that as this common denominator that everybody can unite around. But there's not actually like, there's not a surgery that everybody needs right now. Um, you know, like once you actually drill down, you're talking about provisioning really particular things. And that necessitates uh, zero-sum conversations about trade-offs. And it, it necessitates uh, conversations that, that on our reading uh, lead um, towards this, you know, kind of dialectic that moves, frankly, towards, towards fascism in the long run, regardless of, of our intentions, because you know, we're, you're never going to out, out zero sum <laughs> the right wing, right? And you can, like, articulating something like, you know, gender reassignment surgeries for trans people, for instance, if you articulate that on, through this zero sum taxpayer money framework, right, um, after a moment like Bernie's second loss, people are going to be thinking, oh, well, maybe that shouldn't be central to the program, right? And you, you end up start, you switch to this register of normal people versus fringe issues and versus outsider kind of issues. And, and that, that I think is, is the, the core of our critique. And we, and we take media very, very seriously, uh, both, both in its role in constructing this zero-sum framework, uh, but also as, as a possibility, you know, to like following the non-zero-sum framework, right, like of money, right, like superstructure, money, law, media, like all of these things, fundamentally, they do not, um, like they're, they're first movers in terms of organizing real, like, political action. Sorry, what were you going to say, Natty? And then... Sorry, but just, and also I think that, just in some, a little response to what Matt said along those lines, that I don't think it's either inherently bad or against politics for people to want to be validated or affirmed or for people to want to be entertained and reach out and talk to people because I think that's the basis of what all politics is is looking to be a interrelated species because that's what we are and so that's never going to go away and so I don't think it's inherently bad to want to you know sometimes just like be entertaining too while you talk about politics you don't have to think you're like changing the entire world but participating is what we do because we care. So you participate and it's okay that you meet people and you talk and relationality is possible because we can decide that, you know, anyway. Uh, I mean, okay. I, I guess I don't know what you, I mean, I, you're, you're, you're the upshot of this I'm getting is you're, you're trying to pitch this idea. Well, we aren't, it isn't zero sum, but mm -hmm. it is practically. The two parties have agreed. There is no pressure that can be placed on them within the party structures as they exist, within politics as it is practiced, that can push them away from that bipartisan agreement, that that's the way it is. Now, that's not to say that we can't do anything and that, and that, uh, that uh, there is no reason to, you know, there's, that we should give up. People say that I'm blackpilled, and I'm just saying that, that the, the, the institutions and the the structures of like media pressure and 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 uh, messaging that we are putting our energy into cannot generate what we want it to, and that anything that is going to actually break apart this this consensus 
is uh, is uh, this elite consensus is going to have to come uh, from without, uh, and that that's why like I don't st- really talk about like the specific specifics of uh, different you know visions of uh, of like funding mechanisms for a hypothetical reform agenda. Uh, I talked about how utterly poisonous the the very uh, investment in politics as such ends up being for your ability to recognize uh, anything that could be actually effective in in challenging the status quo. Well, because so, but, sorry, yeah. And where is without? Where is that? Where is? Without? I think it's at the workplace. It I without? think it's at the workplace. Honestly, I think it's it's going to be people. Uh, uh, in this, the remaining nodes of of uh, of leverage and impact on the American economy, uh, organizing for their self interest, which they recognize to be invested in the self interest of their fellow workers, and then and out you- of that, a political, a new political culture, uh, and probably a new political party will emerge. At so least, is media if there separate? is to be, if there is to be a meaningful challenge to this sort of death spiraling neoliberalism we're in and and is media separate from the workplace uh i think that it is irrelevant to the workplace i mean yes people are being shaped by their interactions with media and they're taking them into their interactions with the with uh their fellow workers but if they are if they are invested in politics as they are practiced in the media and if they are members of this uh this like self-appointed political class within the greater American populace who have decided that uh, I am a political agent. I am going to seek political power through the application of my 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 reason and my intellect and my my spirit uh, through engaging with it. If you are bringing to that workplace the stuff from that media ether, uh, it's going to be a hindrance to your ability to engage with your fellow employees your fellow workers rather than an aide because they will not know what you're talking about um i think far be it to universalize a sort of anecdote but i thought this could be helpful um you know it's my experience of of coming to like left politics was decidedly one of media consumption which is to say including the likes of chapo and and you know twitter and and these sorts of things and so Max, I think that's gross. Stop it. <laughs> um, I think I think part of our contention is right that there there's a too too totalizing of a view that just says like that that determines this sort of what you know what I've heard you call spectacle in the past, Matt. Um, as as a structure spectacle. of sort of totalized spectacle. Um, rather than thinking in the ways that the sort of matrix of forming consciousness um, can can be created by by all different means all at once. And I, I mean this also to say, like, coming from that sort of media-conditioned leftism that I came to, I participated in, like, in a wildcat strike this year at the University of California. And and there's right, which is to say, of course, that there is also a link to my very exploitation inside a system that led me to that decision, but and to an active organizing role in that in that decision. But there's also importantly this sort of intellectual bedrock for me specifically that led to my my specific 
participation in that wildcat um, strike. And so I guess what our contention is, is that the media, the media conditioning of subjectivity shouldn't be just given over to the right and to the, the so-called center, right? The left, and I think what, again, is so powerful about creating alternative media spaces on the left is that it can actually reach people, right? I mean, I, like, and, I, and we hear, you know, I've heard from people who, who've listened to our podcast that we have changed the way they've thought about things and the way they've acted in their workplaces. And so I guess, and you know, Matt, That's I'm sure you thinking, have too. Only thinking and then the thought <laughs> dies and it just rots. <laughs> I'm, I'm sure you have too. And so I guess we want to, we want to like really push back against this sort of all like this sort of sense that we only need this sort of material class struggle on its own without a sort of constitutive counter hegemony to come with it. Which is not but, to but say we're not, not great, but it's not counter hegemonic. I would argue it is within the greater hegemony. It, 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 well, it reinforces that's the nature I mean, of counter hegemony I mean, though. Well, right. But I mean, in such a way that it, it does it when applied to life, it ends up just splintering. I mean, look at DSA is a good example of this. Look at how riven DSA has been since its big explosion in 2016. Look at how uh, how how it has been incapable of generating any sort of coordinated agenda. And I would say that a large portion of the reason for that is because the people coming to DSA are coming to it from having been radicalized by their interaction with this counter hegemonic left media and bringing and are bringing to the project of a of a socialist organization the priorities expectations rhetorical conceptions shibboleths uh dividing lines uh, uh good versus evil conceptions that they got there and because the thing is Where you're is talking there? about how it create online the 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 the, the media the left media sphere how are you talking about From, it? the podcasts they, they uh, listen to you yeah, well, not just me, but whoever. <laughs> uh, not, right. It's not just about, li see, the thing is, it's not just listening to somebody because there's not, not, there's not one point of view. There's a sure, bunch of, of different not. arguments about different components of this and what's to be emphasized, what, what issues and what, what uh, positions are most important, what oppression is most salient. And when in history there is nothing was that within, not what the I'm case? saying is there is nothing within that space to resolve those. They but only you like continue history. to be had and then they are brought to uh, to a place like DSA or to the workplace and then they are then those uh, synthetic arguments are reenacted in the real world so when and then in just history, recreate the same the splinterings and the same incompat in, uh, incompatibility and the same incommensurate worldviews that you that were first generated in the media sphere so when in history has that not been how people when in history has that not been the case well, the thing that's different about this is this that we are fully atomized to a degree that no previous humans, certainly uh, in uh, any place that has seen real, like, effective uh, uh, left-wing working-class movements have been. We don't have a working class as such in this country. We have and what workers. is a working class? What a working, a working class, class is a class for, that operates in, at some level, has some ability to express a interest for itself as such as a class but class is not lived in this country race is lived gender is lived identity is lived being so a consumer say, is lived but being so a worker say max, is not so max is a puerto rican uh 
Puerto Rican Floridian uh, grad student in a wildcat strike or AOC when she talks about the Green No Deal. That's never in terms of class. Well, it's in terms of class of people who went to college, really? people who have, who, have, who have received the training. I mean, okay. you, the fact that you said a wildcat strike, I'm, right, my eyebrow raised, and then you said at my college, I'm afraid, I'm sorry, the other eyebrow went up too. No, because the students, well, one of the students the, the are not thing, workers, the, right? It doesn't matter if they're workers. They're, um, they are operating as students. Grad students and teachers unions, are they part of the working class movement? There is no working class movement. Okay, That's what so, I'm saying, is that there, uh, okay. are, there are people operating of what they think are their own self-interest. Then they adhere them to other people in what they think are maybe some sort of class identification. But it has all been, it's all, a pseudo, it's all pseudo class politics that has been recreated and recapitulated in the media sphere because what's we do an not historical, live class. What's an historical example of a real class movement? I would say uh, uh, I mean the, the working class movements that, that generated labor movement or uh, labor parties uh, in Europe uh, at, the, at, the, in the, at the turn of the 20th century uh, uh, that would be that's like the prototypical example of of a, of, of a, a class uh, of a working class movement. Like that's the one that Marx was anticipating, and then sort of came into being as he was describing the conditions that would create it. Uh, but that and that's what we're all sort of subconsciously or not imagining when we talk about working class politics ever since. But the conditions, specifically in the United States, because you can talk about other places, that's fine. I'm not from there. I'm from here. And I don't no, feel I like on it, like when people wanted me to talk about other countries, it's like I will and I'll listen to people. But I honestly feel like it's not my place because why would I want to presume a level of knowledge and, and, and awareness that I don't have in order to appear authoritative? I do oh, feel well, like I'm not I'm asking you on other countries. No, no, I'm no. Saying, I'm just establishing oh, oh, why yeah. I'm talking about the oh, United yeah. States. Right. All right. Okay. No, we know what we know, uh, of course. But what I'm that saying is sense. that in the United States, due to the, pro the, 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 the process essentially of the working class coming into itself as a political actor with the new deal as a, like a, as a as the working class expressing itself through uh, a labor movement that had a place at the table within the uh, mechanisms at the highest level like the the deliberation deliberative mechanisms at the highest level of the democratic party that persisted until the 1970s and has been replaced with a situation uh, and, and what happened during that period, while the working class was at its zenith of influence within the political system, and the political system could accommodate working class demands because of the, the uh, historical fill-up of hyper, uh, uh, mega profits in the post-war era, uh, that they, um, that that working class was essentially de-workified. Uh, turned into consumers, turned into petty landowners, the white ones anyway, uh, with suburbanization, the black lurking class uh, largely ghettoized. Uh, and that geographic dispersal was then compounded by the media dispersal, first with mass media through television, and then finally through the internet, such that our day-to-day -day lives do not contain the shared experience of, of work, of labor exploitation, that generated class consciousness in previous social conditions. And so we are now all, first and foremost, as we live our lives, consumers uh, who compose a demographic identity. 
And we approach politics that way. Now, and then we go through college, the ones of us who do, we, we learn no notions and we have refined notions of class and exploitation and socialism and all these things, and then we uh, try to apply them to our lives. But the only place we really can is, for the most part, online uh, and in our media consumption. And then, in so doing, we, we, we create notions of our ability to affect change that are dis detached from our actual lived conditions. And most specific, more importantly, the lived experience of the vast number of working class people in this country, the most exploited, the most miserable, uh, the most, uh, by any Marxist uh, theory, the most ready to be radicalized, who are most likely to have not gone to college, and most likely to have not encountered this articulation of these ideas, and therefore are the least, you are, having gone through that process, least able to communicate with if you are communicating through, uh, through that me mechanism. Like if you're, if you're, this is what I'm saying. It's, it's not really a question of like. Isn't that kind uh, of a right wing framing that like they're getting corrupted by the colleges? Well, they're not being corrupt. It's not about corruption or anything like that. It's just about alien. It's about, it's about acquiring a vocabulary and an internal mechanism of, of uh, like values that is just not shared. And so it, it makes Isn't it that so like that the communication, or... it makes it so the communication is more difficult. And what has to be done is, is that you don't like whip yourself. You don't shoot people with, who are wearing glasses like it's Phnom Penh 1975. You, uh, you just humble yourself. You, 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 don't, you don't necessarily stop engaging in online disputations or media consumption. You so you don't think anyone to position that in a way that when you're, hold on, I'm, I'm sorry, <laughs> when if you say are working with other people uh, and it's a condition where there is a common grievance and common exploitation, you start there. You start from that common experience. You don't start from the, the, the models that you've acquired through exposure to media. So I guess where I want to like resituate, because you talked about American history here. And we're talking about common experience, right? And it doesn't have to be universally determined, totalizing common experience. But what we share in this neoliberal moment, a, a common experience of precarity. I think we can agree on that. Yeah, absolutely. It's the uh, defining right. characteristic of American politics. Exactly. And it's what drives so, the, the, the zero sums, like dueling sadisms of the parties. Absolutely. And I think we both agree on that sort of neoliberal stasis. Now, the question is, looking back to American history, right, you... you sort of noted that American history is a more has a more complicated relationship to these sort of demographic identifiers, whether you want to call it class or, you know, we're thinking about thinking about race and then region and these sorts of things. But importantly, like you, you talked about the New Deal, you, you sort of talked about the mid-century moment. Our, I think our contention here is that the New Deal and, and the creation of the working class, right, in this country, which again, we can complicate on, on areas of inclusion and exclusion, but, and through World War II, the real, the real like industrial policy at the heart of World War II and coming out of it, the, the sort of relegation of that industrial policy to a sort of privatized intervention um, in, in, in cultivation of these sort of corporate monoliths that facilitated our uh, sort of more abundant fiscal policy than that of later years, precisely on our reading, 
not in some sort of reductive single causal way, but in a constitutive way, was the lever by which we ended up cultivating these subjectivities of class in this country. And also, crucially, the, the, the contention that underprivileged and, and oppressed minority groups could advocate for an abundant sort of agenda, right? We see this with the freedom budget in MLK, and which is not to say that MLK's movement was a sort of strictly class-based movement. I think that was its strength, personally, right? In that it, it incorporated all these different components into this sort of analogical matrix of, of resistance and, and, and tactics, right? It's, it, it's not just about not just about being in the streets, right, and, and, and fighting those immediate struggles, but it's also about changing people's minds. And it's also about getting politicians in office who are going to be necessarily imperfect in nodes of power that can help facilitate said struggle. So I think it's precisely the American history that demands an alternate view and centers the way not just media in the sense of like mainstream news media, but media in the sense of mediation can facilitate the coherence of these sort of disparate, you know, more so atomized, more so decentralized nodes of resistance. Because I think that's ultimately our contention. And centrally through that, we, we need a, a, also a political practice that goes at this precarity, this austerity, and I don't just mean this in a, like a cutting budget sense, at its core. Um, and so that's why we believe in sort of a public education approach around public money. And, and that's why we call ourselves MMTers, which again, we don't have to get into the details of that. But that I think is our contention. And when we're thinking historically about building a movement, it's not just an either or proposition. It feels like you're you're internalizing that zero-sum neoliberal precarity onto a methodological structure of resistance. I think what I'm doing is I'm recognizing that the Democratic Party is currently constructed is not going to be a vehicle for any alternative anything. Uh, as, it, it, as it's currently constructed. Yeah, Correct, and, but, right. that, but that there is no mechanism that exists at, uh, uh, to, to change that through, through any public education campaign or through because who are you educating? You are educating people who already have. Uh, who are you educating? You are educating well, presumably people who are already alienated from the Democratic Party, right? People who already are unsatisfied with the Democratic Party's agenda and its drift. Well, we know what those numbers are, and they are insufficient. The Democratic base has been fully ideologically captured by the party through its media apparatus and 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 those people i mean you're talking if, if there's going to be a change it literally just be old people dying and being replaced by not younger people uh but those younger people uh are still going to be uh getting their cues from a party or, or not even getting their cues but just having to live within a structure i mean all right here's the deal we're gotten biden for four years right Let's just see what's going to happen, honestly. I love I mean, him. I don't He's even great. feel, I don't even know why, I, I don't really feel like I need to make an argument. Like, th we know what the party is Biden. capable of doing. We know why. No, you're not. I'm just saying is that yeah. the, the fact of Biden as the president coming up, the fact that Biden got that nomination, it to me, it indicates that that the existing mechanisms for, uh, for 
pushing the Democratic Party in any direction from below within the Democratic base, like as an electorate, can't happen. So I guess, I mean, it's funny. I don't think we disagree too much about the next four years, except perhaps in the sense of particular, like particular struggles. I mean, we could talk about student debt. I think maybe we should. But um, I think as a general matter, what we're talking about is not a, a, a sort of four year or necessarily even an eight year strategy, which is not to say like at another level, we're not exactly hopeful in, in, in some like naive sense, right? It's just the path that we are want to articulate is one that, you know, foregrounds the fact that as we are rejecting Biden as a left, we're pointing to the fact that Neera Tandon is going to be director of OMB. And Neera Tandon is a hard austerity sound finance liberal. Right? Like our and, friend Doug Henwood, the sound finance socialist. Well, right. I mean, and, and so I guess See, the, this is what I'm talking about. You guys want to settle scores with Doug Henwood because it's a bullshit from Twitter. Come on. How but let's take on the real point. Twitter. Come on. Okay, That's fine. Jacobin. Articles too. Yeah. Articles at yeah, Jacobin. Yeah. I'm sorry. But let's take on the real point here, which I think is that, <laughs> like, we don't think we have to choose between Twitter and politics, but... I didn't see that's I where think, we disagree. Well, right, but that's zero, but that's exactly the point, right? That's a zero-sum framing. We want to take things on at all levels, which is not to say that... No, we have, that, to create, we have to create new levels. We have to create new structures. We have to, and they have absolutely. to emerge from practice, not from the the media hothouse uh not from the uh the social media entrepreneurial uh the war of all against all that we look at and and squint at and think is a politics but you're also saying the reason we have to lose is yeah and you're also saying that the like part of the you know it's a big obstacle right like the mainstream media but you're also like very centrally uh, putting their media apparatus in your view of people's subjectivity, which includes right workers at the workplace. Like, why would it, why would you surrender just prematurely? Why? Uh, well, what's the point uh, of that? Who? I guess the question I'm asking is, who are the political subjects we're talking about? Who are everybody. the people? No, yeah, so, no, I it's mean, not everybody. Ma- it's not everybody. Ma- I disagree with this, you on that. Maybe this would like speak. I disagree to- with you on that. Okay. I do not think everybody is a political subject in the same way in this country. For one thing, nobody's a political subject that's the same anywhere. But, but what I mean is, is that well, I'm talking. You're talking. Well, you're talking about the specifics of like this, the idea of counter hegemony, he, counter hegemony in, fr- in media, and, and like messaging. The audience for that that is a type of political subjectivity that is not everybody. Just like that, all political subjectivities are not everybody. Right, but this specific one is bounded by the experience of absorbing a set of values through, I think, I would argue largely a collegiate experience that is not universal in this country and that by having gone through it leaves you, if you're sticking with it, not inherently, not tainted in some spiritual sense, but if you insist upon making uh, your politics into like a mentally reified construction that you are then going to take out in the world and try to, uh, try to engage people with, into unintelligible to people who haven't had it. I've gone to okay, riots but... with people I met on Twitter, and not everybody at the riot went to went to college. Riots are 
an expression of the inability of people to formulate a co coordinated action. But there, it's it's, but it's, it's, also it's a another expression of our of our failure to have a, a, a coalesced like working class identity is you is what do we do? We do things individually. We we listen to things individually. We post individually, and then even when we want to go out and do something, what we do is we go and we riot individually. And then maybe in the course of the riot, some forms come together of organization. But then, as the lack of an an actual uh, actionable and a, and um, achievable goal uh, persists because of our lack of a deliberative process. The energy disperses again, like, which is like what we saw new, all summer. A, a new we saw all summer where were these eruptions of 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 anger and and frustration and and oppression that were eventually channeled into either uh, like recapitulated by the Democratic Party or disavowed by the Democratic Party and used as a excuse for why they didn't do so well, or symbolic ritualized actions like pulling down statues. Because but how we're coming at it individually. But how undialectical is thinking that that the the BLM movement over the summer has not then cultivated a space for a sort of a, like when this all erupts again, sadly, when a cop kills a, a, a black person in, in on camera again because it's going to happen. There's going to be a new eruption in the context of the consciousness that had been cultivated by the previous but consciousness yes but what if it's just consciousness then you're just going to see a repeat it has to be durable uh uh institutions it has to be something where people can alienate authority to make. take orders from in order to make any of their actions feel like there's any reason to do it i mean the, the when the, when the police come in and start cracking heads and and you know that 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 furthering uh, further involvement in in any kind of demonstration is going to just result in you going to jail or getting beaten up or something, and that that's the only plausible outcome of it because there is no there is no uh, forward movement. There's no momentum towards anything other than that, and there's no there's no structures emerging to be durable. Then people are going to stop showing up, which is what happens over time. And you get this repeated like lapping up, and yes, people, are, and yes, like the the consciousness, the concepts uh, are are being you know continually uh, reinfor re, uh, re <clears throat> reinforced and 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 validated in people's minds. But if that's not joined to something beyond uh, the personalized indulgence in demonstration as like a valid a personal validation then it can't do anything other than just become a cycle of, of resistance, suppression, uh, uh, fallowness, and then once again, another uh, outburst. So I, I don't think that difference and particularity uh, are, can just be collapsed into atomization. And, and maybe, maybe this will speak to you because I'm, I, I want to say something about how the the economy um is is structured and how material production is structured which is that the economy is an interdependent input output structure that is circular where people are doing different things and their difference is figured in the context of coherence uh in larger structures that we all 
change or reproduce from various nodes. And so I, I think that there's, I, I think in my opinion, um, part of why we're talking past each other and what, and what I think is, is the mistake that you're making here is seeing a particularity and seeing subjectivity and seeing you know, people's lived experiences, you know, setting aside whether there's a, you know, a difference between people's lived experiences and their, you know, objective, like, you know, relation to capital. Um, but I, I think that it's, it's a mistake to see those lived experiences as necessarily atomizing or requiring subsumption into uh, a common material denominator because it's it's our material differences uh that cohere within a larger structure right like people in this workplace make this and that is then used over here by these people right and like that is embedded in you know circular it's mediated by by macro structures that are, you know, mediated by money, by media, by, by all of these things. Does that make sense? I don't know. <laughs> I, mean, I, 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 I think, honestly, what this boils down to Congratulations, is that you guys, you guys hear now. me say log off and you take it, you take it personally. I think that's because you... <laughs> so what's wrong with the personal? The, the thing is, here, here's the real, here's, here's honestly the issue is that I don't say stop doing what you're doing. I'm not saying people shouldn't, if they feel like they have something to contribute to the question of, of, of money supply or, or whatever the hell you guys talk about, <laughs> that they shouldn't contribute it. Like you guys mm -hmm. have abilities and skill sets related to those questions. You have a desire to, to express them, do so. Everyone but, needs to do that. And I mean, I'm still doing my show. I think that's part of what we are sort of thinking is that, like, in terms of taking it personal, not really. I don't give a shit. But um, it's like the idea of things like MMT or the Green New Deal is like cultivating a care economy, right? Like, we want to be funding jobs where we care for the environment, we care for each other, yada, yada. And it's like, the thing is, we do care for each other. It's like, it's not because you're online that you have to say it's good or you did something. The point is... Sometimes you just want to be connecting to people and there's all different tactics and ways, but it doesn't, and those things have their flaws within the structures, but we're always building structures, we're always building institutions, we're always interacting with people because that's just what we do. Like, I feel like that zero sum of like, oh, is it worth it or not? Are you doing something useful or not? It's like, you're always, don't we want to affirm each other as lefties and like doing shit that is of any kind that is uh, interrelational because that's what we already are and how we already feel. Yes, I think you should. I see. Here's the thing is that I, I've never told anybody to stop doing anything that they're doing, whether it's consuming or producing any media product. It is simply about giving it the proper emotional valence. And I honestly, What's like with all this stuff, I'm mostly talking about myself to try to like therapeutize myself away from my worst instincts. And I and I and the degree to which people listen to me when I talk about this stuff tells me that I'm not just talking about myself. I'm expressing some sort of some sort of phenomenon that is at least generalizable beyond me specifically, if not maybe me beyond like a demographic slice of of people who, who would, you know, be likely to listen to me in the first place. Uh, but my main point to people is that this isn't politics. What it's, is politics? Whatever else it is, it's some, I don't know yet. 
It's coming into being. What we call politics now, to me, cannot do what we want it to do in any sense. Now, that doesn't mean that what we're doing can't, uh, will not, and it has to. As you said, everything's interrelated. It's not like you can sever it. It will contribute to what comes next, what challenges the, the current hegemony, uh, but that we can't invest uh, our faith in it as a so, deliverer. I, That's so it. I, I want to like just note like two terms, I think, because I think it, one thing to flag is what you're articulating about media is essentially a sort of Hegelian bad infinity. And um, and, you know, we can we can bracket that. Max, I, I that's too collegiate. Just calm down. I think we <laughs> would have <laughs> we would have a you know, we would have a critique of Hegel on that front. But again, that's not what this conversation is about. One can look to our catalog for that. But um, one thing I want to say, though, is that like care is political, right? And you're, you're talking about, and I, you know, I, I certainly noticed listening to your stream that you are talking, like thinking with and, and thinking about their, a therapeutic sort of media approach for yourself that then is related right? and, and offers relatedness, which is not to say that care, is, care in that sense is only what is at stake in the political, but that the, the way in which that, that intersects with the way we advocate and resist forces of precarity, it are, is, that's intrinsically linked. And we want to link that not just at the level of, of our interpersonal relation, but at the level of our analysis as well. And, and, and to articulate a care economy through a perspective that, that honors that particularity and its relatedness, but also can't be reduced to a sort of immediate sensuous care relation, right? And so I guess that's sort of what we're, we're attempting to articulate. And, the, and I don't think there, I think on neoliberalism, certainly we agree with you in, in many, many ways. And I, 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 you know, I'm resonating with, with that sense of having to reckon with, again, that's why I contextualize this podcast. We started this podcast after Bernie's loss as well, in part, a sort of self-care relationship of expression and figuring out ideas and navigating the world, right? But also because we thought we had an analytical apparatus that went along with it. And so I think that's essentially what we're saying, right? You're not in a workplace in the traditional sense. No. But, right, <laughs> but you are, you are likewise feeling these material feelings, right, if you want to call them that, that are relational, that have structures that are malleable too. And so we want to link that up to a political practice that doesn't reduce itself to this sort of circular sort of bad infinity of consciousness in, in an analytical sense. And it, I'm not saying you have to agree, but I just want to say that that's sort of what we're, we're trying to get after here and why I think we thought talking with you would be productive. Well, I hope it has been. I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I mean, for you guys, I, I don't, I mean, I always, I'm always find it productive because, you know, that's my job and uh, uh, I like engaging with people on all these issues to try to make them make more sense to myself. I don't I th know. I think we just, I don't know if it was for anyone who listens to it or for you guys, I have no idea if it was productive. <laughs> I have no idea. Well, and I guess we want to hold open that space in, in the sense of, we never know when the opportunity is going to present itself, right? And Bernie was certainly an opportunity. I mean, we, we have no qualms about that. You know, we, we were 
you know, even us MMTers were all on board with Bernie, even though he didn't say the things we wanted him to, right? Because Bernie didn't speak to everything that everyone on the left wanted to. But but it's okay to obviously like bracket certain things in certain ways. I guess that's precisely what we're suggesting when it comes to like this sort of nodal matrix of resistance. It's not, it, it actually, I think, is ultimately a sort of from a place of both analytical clarity that we think we have to offer, but also a humility with regards to the historical context in which resistance and victories come into being. Because I think personally, like you mentioned DSA earlier, I think AOC was a victory. Now, was AOC a total victory? No, of course not, right? Same with Elon Omar and same with Rashida Tlaib, who's now, you know, talking about trillion dollar coins and has bills to just give everyone a bunch of money, right? Like there are all different context in which nor are we huge and we have our critiques of dsa as well right i mean gonna let that silence uh hang Um, (laughs) 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 no i mean i i think um one thing like and and maybe maybe this does um speak to dsa even though i didn't really have anything uh prepared to um to say about dsa uh in particular but we we want to um to recast like the like when we think about like we're offering ideas as participation in this political process but it's not it's not a flat uh participation that you know is just like you know this kind of mass mass kind of democracy that's you know like everybody's you know voice has equal weight and then you know there's you know, not not that not that you're a Maoist, but that you know there would be some kind of a mass line or some kind of a party apparatus or something that synthesizes you know that that voice. Um, I think we wanna we want to attend to like all the particularities of the forms of media um, that that we create as participation, because I I think that in in flattening all like language and and all discourse into just discourse right like just noise right like that's the neoliberal marketplace of ideas right that's that's the you know and and yes like you know neoliberals are at the helms of like a lot of fucking powerful institutions and like they do have this you know marketplace of noise right um where we're all consumers of each other's noise and that's gonna you know that's gonna pick you know who has like a bigger platform or something like that but ultimately like we don't want to right like the neoliberal like gaze if you could call it that um or perspective like you know yes Ew, it's, it's inflecting it's inflecting a... the production of all of these institutions and and the design and all of these things but it doesn't exhaust reality and we don't want to just take that as at its word and say yes we are fallen into the marketplace of ideas you know or the the marketplace of the party (laughs) right where where everything that we say is just like an input into like the particle mass or something like that like i i think we you know like are you denying gravity will are you denying (laughs) every day Like I said, I, I I do not expect anyone to 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 stop doing anything they're doing media wise because they're doing it for a reason. They're doing it because they feel like they need to in some respect, and 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 that's nothing that uh, that any argument is going to engage and is going to uh, 
is going to interfere with. it's a deeper question, too. It's about, that's also an analogy for politics writ large, right? Like, about the whether we're just, like, all shouting to the void right now. Like, we care, right? And so, (laughs) I don't think we are shouting to the void, but regardless, like, still that's an analogy for a larger question, which is political practice. That's why the question matters, right? Like, because you also have I just don't think that political practice is going to emerge from this this mechanism it might inflect behaviors but, but regardless, only if the people only if the people who are engaging with it have properly contextualized what they're getting out of that because i've watched over the last 4 years the, the socialist explosion turn into a, a a a sterile realm of repeated and endless argumentation because it's not grounded in anything so why then, why then do we end up at the guillotine or the helicopters that, you know, you talked about how like everything then it sounds like we're atomized, like no thing is connection is like irrevocably severed. And then basically what that leaves is, is interpersonal meso macro violence, right? And that we end up at the helicopters or, or guillotines because revenge is all that's left. And so what does that say about our current moment or what? I mean, I, I guess... There is still something, all of ideas. At stake. And, yeah. We're yeah. fighting, we, we have to fight the reaction, the forces of reaction as they pop up, right? I mean, the Hollies of the world who are See, trying no. to cultivate. See, this is a thing. I don't agree with that. I don't, I, like, we, Josh Hawley, who knows who this asshole is? Who knows who Josh Hawley is? I don't. I, I don't mean to reduce it just to Josh Hawley. <laughs> I just mean like, okay, the, like the people, the people who looked this. at the Trump phenomenon and said, oh, someone's going to turn this into an ideologically coherent machinery and that's going to be the death of us all. As if ideological coherence is key to Trump's appeal to his, to his, control, to his power over the Republican base. Or the, the, the reason not? that all those working class people and all those minorities voted for him this time. It's not. It, it, is a, it is a. It is a. It is a It's. It's. It, it's a. It is a spectacle that they are that, part of. That's not emotional or related to power. It's emotional, exactly. You're talking. Josh Hawley's not emotional. Josh Hawley's trying to tur- trying to square the circle and turn a bunch of policy papers together. So and that's I, not I, where I, the, the I energy comes think, from. I actually think that that um, Trump was playing on on a coherent framework. It just was a coherent framework that he found. Right. It was the zero sum Thatcher framework that says that, you know, when people come into the country, it means that there are less jobs available for the people who are already here. Right. Like the ideological work laying down that foundation that already existed. And so Trump just needed to, you know, come in and like shout. But I I think, you know, I mean, Josh Hawley, you know, fine, is not like a household name necessarily, but Tucker Carlson certainly is. Right. And like. I like there there is like there is a rise of fascism like ar- around the world. And no, see, you know, I our... don't agree with that either. No, I don't agree that there's any kind of fascist conditions. People are people are at the leading edge of like people are all mean and shitty and they want to hurt each other, as we've said, and they're willing to vote to make that happen. But but fascism presupposes this idea of a of a politicized uh, 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 citizenry. I've had, who, I've who had, have, I was, who have, who have turned their lives into politics. Uh, I was and, at and, national and that's stadium. That's not what we have. We have, pe- 20- we have, we have three hundred million individuals who do not, who, who, who have no investment in a project beyond that. We were supposed to see uh, pogroms. Remember after Trump lost or won, uh, the, the, Trump, Trump losing was supposed, and and Trump losing and then failing, refusing to uh, 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 
ratify the results of his loss was supposed to unleash a wave of political violence in this country. I could show you a million people saying that was going to happen. And the reason it didn't happen is because at the end of the day, this is a sports fandom for most of these fascists so you, that people are worried about. So you don't think the about. U.S. police uh, killing That's not fascism. Right. That's the mechanism of pure, Regardless, raw, so, okay. authoritarian exploitation that is going to okay. replace so if you political call it consensus. Fascism or th- I've been, it's, but there's, in, I've been, in 2017, I was at the, I was helping like an old, old commie whose dad was tortured in National Stadium. And I had people in MAGA hats chant, build the wall at me, who were wearing a guy who has a fucking, this guy's a psycho, but he has a YouTube channel where they, tra- they put subtitles on Jordan Peterson vi- uh, videos and they were wearing shirts <laughs> that say, poor, poor fascist pride. And this is a Yeah, National they also have, probably have a shirt that says, go Raiders. It's just part of their culture. It's part of their identity performance. But that's not- but that's like I mean, the aestheticization of politics is quintessential to and, and structurally a component of neo-fascisms and fascism history. No, this is politics turning into aesthetics where you just observe. That's what we're getting into. The the authoritarianism will be, will be there. The cages will be there. The 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 concentration camps will be there. But they're not going to be there because of some act of of marshaled. Uh, 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 citizen uh, energy. It's going to be because we're just pressing buttons on a, uh, in in, in, an, in a uh, we're picking one group or another to to be the subject in our minds of the the punishments of a inexorable slide towards uh, a zero sum neoliberal uh, of immiseration. So and, okay, and, well, and that it will and that, that that the mechanism of that will not be decided by people acting consciously as political agents it will just be it'll be the same mechanism that has been turning behind the scenes of politics for the past 40 years so i i don't want to just like i i don't want to naturalize um or denaturalize i guess like or take fascism out of the context of liberalism because i think that we would we would argue on this podcast and you know where we don't have time to fully unpack this so i know that you're going to disagree but we would argue that fascism is liberalism's subconscious which is to say that it is conditioned by uh the by the reification of ultimately of money and of political provisioning as necessarily zero-sum and if, I, if you fascism look, see this is i guess i'm a, I'm a well, hold on. Let, 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 fat, let me oh, let me just let me just finish this really quick um you know like if if you look at if you look at like propaganda posters like in the third reich right like you you would see posters that you know have somebody with disabilities right um that were like eugenicist posters uh that would say this person cost the German taxpayer this much money, um, right? So, like, if you reify money as being fundamentally private, then eventually, yeah, people are going to start wanting to organize around what they think is their concrete shared material circumstance. Whereas what I'm saying and what, what we're saying is that the is that all of the differences in all of these concrete material circumstances you know like our you know our embodied shared interests with our you know co-workers in this particular firm relates analogically to every other part of the economy and and doesn't require flattening into you know one uh concrete common denominator shared interest and in fact doing so we would argue is what leads to you know, and setting aside historically whether this is, um, you know, setting aside historically like when fascism starts or, you know, like 
whatever, like, these are the logics of fascism. And I think that that's what, what we want to, what, what we want to, you know, kind of suggest is that the logics of fascism are more self-aware and reflexive liberal logics. And they're, they're more self-reflexive about the fact that politics has been rendered as a distributional conflict between people who are fundamentally different and have individuated interests. And, you know, you naturalize the citizenry as, you know, like, you know, you take, you know, white people or natives or, you know, blood and soil, right? This kind of imminence. And you naturalize it and you, you say that it's, you know, a political body and then everything that's on the outside, right? Like you have the center of the Venn diagram and then you put the outsides of the Venn diagram in concentration camps. But the point is that the Venn diagram is like we shouldn't be reifying it and participating in its construction. Uh, I would agree that I, I, I think fascism, honestly, as, is, a, is a historical phenomenon. I do think that 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 well, like fascism in interwar Europe was, yes, the subconscious of liberalism. I agree. The subconscious of liberalism was always just mere mere, uh, uh, you know, a, a compulsion because it's it's because liberalism is sort of the, the superstructural armor of capitalism. And, and what what facilitates that is is um, uh, is some condition of uh of post scarcity and that when scarcity comes back in that's what uh it, uh eats away at the liberalism and reveals sort of the machinery beneath now in in interwar europe the fascism was the emergent because of these specific uh uh conditions of those socially uh bound citizenries i would say now we have a similar situation where our liberal uh, our liberal uh, superstructural uh, justifications for capitalism are degrading before our eyes uh, and revealing something beneath. But the something beneath uh, is not a mass movement. It's not people in the streets. It is, it is just the technological machinery of neoliberalism, uh, uh, both in, I mean, in all, when I say technology, I, I mean, I'm mean talking about everything from like uh, the apps that allow for the creation of this new sort of pro, uh, returning of like a servant economy with with Uber and things like that, uh, and also your know, drone surveillance, uh, police uh, police uh, military technology, all of these things are filling the space that in a previous generation and in a previous in a different place would be filled by political party and political activism and people in the streets, stormtroopers. That's that that role is superfluous because we are post-political people. Now that doesn't mean we're doomed. It means that uh, uh, we have to recreate a political. And ideas like the ones you're talking about are going to inevitably be part of that. But what's going to bring it about is going to be people, to some degree or another, just dropping what they've learned, what they think they have learned, and finding out what they actually, how they actually relate to their fellow workers and citizens and, and friends and family, and then moving from that point towards a coordinated action and a rediscovery of political, uh, uh, political uh, uh, power. So I think, um, you know, with that, I think we probably played out the, the conversation in the sense of the distinctions and, and our arguments. And um, so I guess um, if unless you had any pressing thoughts, we'd probably say to leave it there. 
um, and let let the conversation speak to itself. But um, I do appreciate Matt, uh, you coming on uh, Superstructure. It's a uh, yeah, it's certainly. Uh, uh, I, I enjoyed the conversation. I think the listeners will too. Yeah, me too. I had a fun time. Slightly sorry. To a flustered surprise, to flutter this.